Welcome to Valley Outdoors, covering outdoor recreation in the Matsu Valley and Greater Alaska with your host, Tim Escher. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Valley Outdoors, where we talk about cool outdoor opportunities here around the Matsu Valley and Alaska in general. It's been a little while since I had a show. Uh, we had the holidays, uh, visited family back in the Midwest, um, but now I'm back at it and winter's still here, um, so that's good. Today we're talking about biking. Yes, I know it's January, but winter biking is definitely a thing around here. Um, you see people outside a lot doing that. On today's show, we have Kevin Murphy and Julie Burbrick from Backcountry Bike and Ski, uh, the bike and ski shop right here in Palmer. Good morning, Kevin Good. and Julie. Good morning. Thanks, thanks for being here. I guess it's afternoon now, so it's not really morning. Um, so um, I've done a lot of traveling around, uh, both in the Midwest and uh, overseas. Uh, in Scandinavia a few years ago, I spent a lot of time in Scandinavia. And one thing that I noticed over there is that a lot of people bike all the time in Scandinavia. That's what you do is you ride bikes in Sweden and in Norway. And I noticed they did it year round, um, which was totally new for me. I'd never seen that before. Um, and <clears throat> they rode their bikes to work. They rode their bikes to school. And that's what you do. You don't, riding cars is very expensive. Driving cars is very expensive. Gas is very expensive. And so they rode bikes. But you didn't see it much back in the Midwest where I was from. Um, when the winter came around, people put their bikes away, and uh, that was it for the winter. And then they got them out in the spring again. When I started coming up in <coughs> coming up here in Alaska, I noticed again that people were riding bikes in the wintertime. And lately in the last few years, it's, it seems to have exploded quite a bit in popularity. And so I wanted to get a show and get some people on to talk about why is that? And how do people get started in that sort of thing? And so um, I asked around a few different folks, and they said I should talk to the folks at Backcountry Bike and Ski, since that's kind of what you guys, what you guys specialize in. Um, so um, I guess we can start out um, talking about uh, what kind of biking do people do around here? Uh, you know, someone who's just starting out in biking, uh, you know, they do road biking maybe in the summertime and trail biking in the summertime. Um, but haven't done biking much in the winter. How does somebody get started with that? Just have to have a desire to be outside in the winter on your bike. Okay. All no, right. It's that easy. Yeah. Well, um, but you wouldn't normally take just a normal road bike out in the winter, right? Uh, or do people do that? We have a guy that's a regular in the shop at the moment. He's a customer that has a, a road style bike with studded tires on it. And he rides it. You'll see him all over town. Oftentimes, riding his road bike in the wintertime. Okay. Um, and you mentioned studded tires. Um, you know, it, yeah. today in Palmer, there's ice everywhere, right? There's a little bit of snow that came down <clears throat> today, and I was walking on the sidewalk. I was almost slipping just walking on the sidewalk. Um, and I can just imagine riding my bike, what that would be like, uh, my road bike. Um, is studs typically required for winter biking? Yeah. Yeah, even with the fat tire bikes, that you, what basically the explosion of bikes that you're talking about, mm -hmm. um, that we recommend that people use the studded tires on them. It's not you don't have to do it, but it certainly is um, worth it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Added level of insurance to slipping and falling. Okay. Um, so you mentioned fat tire bikes. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you know we've been talking. <clears throat> you just mentioned. Excuse me. You mentioned uh, road bikes, mm -hmm. and but we've seen a lot of more in the fat tire bike area lately. Um, when I go past your store, I see them out on the rack uh, out front. Um, <clears throat> can you talk a little bit about what's when would someone want a fat tire bike versus just a normal 
either a mountain bike or a road bike in the wintertime. Well, if there's any uh, measurable amount of snow, it is preferable to have the fat tire bike because of the wider tires um, mm -hmm. and the ability for them to be run at a lower tire pressure um, and therefore do a little bit of floating on top of the snow. Mm -hmm. uh, that's... It, if you have a mountain bike with studded tires or or the road bike with studded tires, which is pretty, pretty studly to be doing, <laughs> um, you're, you don't have as much option to ride when there is a significant or measurable amount of snow. Okay. Um, fat tire biking uh, takes care of the problem of when there is more snow. Okay. Does it depend on the kind of biking that you do? You know, when I, when I think of fat tire biking, I think of people that want to get out in the backcountry. And sure. bike, or mm -hmm. go up to Government Peak and ride around on the mm -hmm. trails up there, as opposed to somebody who's commuting to work, for example. I mean, does that make a difference, or is is fat tire biking really versatile for? They're amazingly versatile bikes. They are year round bikes. Okay. You can use them any summer, winter. Um, it doesn't matter. They they're comfortable. They're steady. They're mm -hmm. uh, they're confidence inspiring mm -hmm. for people that are nervous about riding bicycles. Um, those same people can take that bike and mountain bike in the summertime and um, find a lot more confidence in their mountain biking. So they're very versatile versatile bikes. Okay. Now are they're fairly new, aren't they? In terms of you know technology is concerned, and uh, I was reading up on some of the history. I I. I'm somewhat familiar with um, the Iditarod, Iditarod Trail Invitational, the, mm -hmm. the long bike race that goes on. Um, mm -hmm. I'd met uh, uh, Bill Merchant mm -hmm. um, on some of the Iditarod work that I did a couple of years ago. And so I was talking to him about the ITI, and, and I read up a little history on that. And I think they just started out with just plain old road bikes when that thing first started. But then over time, it's kind of evolved into this, uh, into more of the fat bike area. And I uh, this fall... You had, I think you had a demo day up at uh, Government Peak, and I went up there and I tried some of the bikes, and they were awesome. just amazing. You look at those bikes, and they look like tanks. You think they're going to weigh, you know, about 120 pounds, and you lift them up, but they're just super light bikes, and it's mm -hmm. just incredible. Um, so are things still changing a lot in that area, or are things kind of stabilized in, in terms of fat bikes? I think they're still evolving. Yeah, they're still evolving. They've, they've taken about 10 years' worth of development that's happened, and... That's from a production level, and then that doesn't include the decade prior to that that people were tinkering in the garages at home, mm -hmm. hand-building things. Here in Palmer, for example, you know, a gentleman that was welding frames, um, probably not that far down the street from right where this studio is located. And uh, one of those pieces of history is actually hanging on the wall in the shop. Oh, really? So, uh, well, is it, is it, I heard when I was reading about it, it was... One of the guys had taken rims and kind of welded four rims together to make <laughs> to make an original Two, yeah. fat tire bike yeah. way back in the day. Yeah, that that is something that was done in the past, and um, there were there were there are images of of bicycles out there with rims in tandem and two tires right next to each other. Um, some of that stuff can be seen on display in town mm -hmm. at a bike shop in Anchorage. And uh, yeah, there's from a production standpoint, though, ten years worth of production has been going on at a bike shop level. Um, you know, readily available stuff. But mm -hmm. as Julie put it, now we're starting to see some changes um, both in wheel and tire size. So, okay, again, it's changing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And originally they were really like, we, I have, I have a, I call it snow bike all the time uh, because 
I think originally they were, you know, developed for riding on snow and sand. Um, but uh, now they're being mass produced by every, almost every single major bike company. So um, they're being mountain biked with, and therefore there's a lot of technology that's happening and changes that are happening. I mean, not that long ago, we thought that suspension was silly. Well, we both have suspension now. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, and, you know, there's full suspension fat tire bikes. There's, um, it, it, it's ever evolving. And they, they, the, the frames themselves have gone from sort of a, um, oh. Kind of a clown bike, real upright. Real upright. Dated, you okay. know, geometry to... You can climb on a fat bike up today, and aside from a four-inch tire being underneath you, it's really no different than your standard mountain bikes okay. of today. So that's, mm -hmm. that's one of the concerns that I had when I first started looking at these, <clears throat> in that did I need a summer mountain bike, and did I need a winter mountain bike, and then did I need a road bike? Pretty soon I have a whole garage full of bikes. There's uh, nothing wrong with that? Well, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> Except it's making it hard to store other things, your other toys. Um but uh, like I said, when I tried that one out this fall, it, there was no snow on the ground. The ground was frozen, so right. it was very hard, um, which made the suspension nice uh -huh. on there. Um, but other than that, I went all the way up to the top of the government peak trails that were up there just fine. Uh -huh. yep. bike. Yeah, um, they climb. They're, they're, the geometry of them is such that they they really do ride like mountain bikes mm -hmm. now, and um, they climb well. They descend well. Okay. Now, you, you mentioned suspension a little bit. Um, can you talk... A, a bit about what the options are on the suspension side, because I know you can get there's like a full suspension bike, which is is at front and back, and then mm -hmm. you, and then there's partial suspension and you know, hardtail bikes and those sorts of things. What are the differences, and why would you want different types of suspension? Um, so going back to where they all started, they were what we would call rigid, so unsuspended at both ends. Mm -hmm. um, the next evolution was suspension forks being mass produced um, in a set standard. And that brought suspension to the front of the bike, which initially there was blowback, but they, they've they quickly gained traction because of the control they offered the rider. Mm -hmm. And then I think people, um, mostly the engineers and the designers for these bicycles thought, well, if suspension can do this at the front end of the bike, what's it going to do at the back? And somebody like Trek, who's big enough to, you know, do that, um, they did. And if you rode one, you know, mm -hmm. they, they're pretty, pretty fun. Oh yeah. They work and very they're, well. They're very smooth. Mm -hmm. when you're so the added benefit really comes when, um, the bike is now being viewed as this four season tool versus a single season tool. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, yesterday I spent the better part of 60 miles riding snow only. Mm. Suspension was not really a thought. I didn't really need it. The trail was smooth. It was firm. It was fast. Um, However, if I were to go ride Government Peak this evening, I have a bike with a suspension fork on the front to deal with some of the imperfections in the snowpack left from footprints. Okay. So suspension is, um, it's kind of something that one has to ask themselves, where are they going to intend to ride the bike? Mm -hmm. uh, and how do they want it to perform? Because there's no right or wrong, there's just different. And um, yeah, suspension at both ends is definitely awesome. It's not for everyone. Suspension at one end is awesome. Again, maybe not for everyone. And then no suspension at all is also awesome. Sure. It's all where it's most applicable for your needs. And the type of biking that you do. Correct. Normally. You know, if you're going to be a, a wintertime commuter and most of your riding is going to be on semi-plowed bike paths and sidewalks, 
suspension probably really isn't, you know, awesome for you. It's added complexity. It's a little more weight. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, if you're going to use that bicycle to commute and recreate with suspension in the front, like, you know, Julie and Tony's bikes are both suspended at the front now. I haven't had to put a rigid fork back on either one of them since we put them on. <laughs> so they've gotten used to them, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty yeah. quick. Okay. All right. Um, if you've just joined us, this is Tim Escher with Valley Outdoors on Big Cabbage Radio. And we're talking with Kevin Murphy and Julie Berberick of Backcountry Bike and Ski about wintertime biking. Um, so let's talk about cost a little bit. Um, you know, if, if you mentioned suspension, I imagine the different suspension options affect the cost. Um, at least on the bikes that we were trying out this fall that I talked about, there was quite a difference in cost depending on what kind of suspension you got and the different types of bikes that they were that were there. Can you talk about, you know, what would you consider an entry level for someone that was just wanted to start out and, and, you know, just wanted to do some recreating on bikes in the wintertime. It wasn't going to be an everyday thing necessarily, maybe once a week, once every couple of weeks. So in the world of fat tire bikes, since that's what we're talking about at the moment, the mm-hmm. entry level for us this year was 1499. Okay. Um, you know, we don't really have anything else beneath that cost and we've looked at it and at this time just chose not to go there from a uh, quality perspective. You know, we want the end user to have a good experience with the equipment. So $1,500 is that break-in point where that user is going to get an awesome bicycle that serves them well for a long time. And then based on function, the the price will go up. So um, I think as you said earlier, you rode a bike at the demo that was a full suspension, adding suspension units at both ends. And mechanically speaking, not a whole lot was different between that and that entry-level bike, mm-hmm. but that suspension added that premium of, you know, making it 30, I think it's a 3399 or 3499 price okay. tag. Mm-hmm. So suspension does add, you know, quite a bit of additional uh, money, but that's to be expected with anything that gets more complex with more features. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if, so your $1,500 option, is that, does that have sus- any suspension at all or is that? Not beyond what's offered in the tires. Okay. So right. it's fully rigid. Okay. All right. And then, so the next step would be to have front suspension on correct. there and then back and then finally full suspension. Yeah, that's correct. Okay. And I remember when I was riding up there, um, I didn't notice too much difference, at least on the riding that I was doing in government peak when you're, you know, you're going up and down a lot of bumps and, and mm-hmm. rocks and so on, you're actually not on the seat that much. Um, sure. and so a full suspension didn't really matter. It, it seemed like, but the front suspension was important because the ground was frozen. Yeah, and I, I had uh, the first bike I tried didn't have any suspension at all, and my my arms were just bouncing like crazy. Yeah, and uh, it was very rough. Yeah, uh, but when I got the front suspension bike, that all went away, and uh, it was Correct. beautiful after that. Correct. Um, so there are, there are some different options there. So um, let's talk about studded tires for a bit. What's the difference in cost on studded tires? You know, go non-studded versus studded. Is there a big cost difference between those? Yeah, right around a hundred dollars a tire. Okay. So a standard studded tire, for example, is. Um, our inexpensive options this year are, uh, 175 a tire. Well, actually I take that back. 150 is the least expensive option that we have. And most fat bike tires are right around a hundred bucks. Okay. Um, so, uh, you can get in for about $50 more for studs. If you want the premium options, the premium studded options come in at just over $200 a tire. Mm-hmm. Um, again, that goes back to like Julie mentioned earlier though, around here with such a mixed bag of conditions for snow and ice, um, it would be really advised to have studs. So it's a 
pretty small expenditure to keep you upright. Especially if you're going to be in town or on the roads or anything like that. Yeah. Because there's so much ice down here. Absolutely. Um, as far as clothing is concerned, um, you have a built-in wind chill <laughs> when you're biking. Um, I used to run a lot. I could run in any weather. Mm-hmm. And I, I learned what kind of clothing I needed to have based on you know, the, what the weather conditions were like and the wind chill and things like that. But when you're running, you never go more than about six miles an hour. Uh, but when you're on a bike, that changes. You've got a built-in wind uh, that goes along with that. And uh, so can you talk a little bit about clothing a bit? And uh... Well, one thing that I would say um, that we pretty much say is indisputable that you, you just got to buy, and that's a pair of pogies. And they are insulated handlebar um, mittens, essentially, to keep your hands warm. Um, people, so like gloves that actually attach to the yeah. handlebars, right? And your mm-hmm. hands slide into them. Yeah. And they also are very worth the money. So that's your, that's your first step for keeping your hands warm. Um, after that, it's just winter clothing, whatever, and layers. Cause you, like you said, um, you know, you want to be able to adjust for the, um, the temperatures. Mm-hmm. Um, we wear pretty much like what you would wear cross country skiing. Okay. Is what we would wear. What on about a bike. footwear? And that that's that varies for people. It um, does, yeah. Uh, depending on how how you know, some people just have a really hard time keeping their feet warm. Mm-hmm. You know, people. I know I do. Bunny yeah. boots. People okay. wear bunny boots. People wear winter hiking boots. Um, you'll okay, see. so you're not you're not talking clip in biking some shoes. Some people wear those as well. Really, and okay. there are specialized. There are companies that make specialized winter specific clipless boots so or clip-in boots um so if you want to um you know if you want to have that option to have that additional power like you would in the summer months on a road or a mountain bike you can have it or if warmth and comfort are king you know a standard you know muckluck boot or a winter hiking boot or a or a bunny boot Mm -hmm. um all work great obviously the type of pedal you use then has to change. Sure, sure. So it sounds like it's a lot of experimenting. Uh, yeah, it right really is. The kind of yeah. biking that they do and whether they're going to bike enough to sweat and warm mm-hmm. up or if they're just kind of leisurely cruising. Yeah, yeah. and how, how long you're, you're planning on being out there. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so if uh, somebody wanted to try this out, you know, and they weren't quite ready to spend the 1500 bucks to, to jump into it to get the bike and, and whatever else that goes along with that, um, are there rental options that, that you and other shops have around to let people yeah. try things out? Yeah, we have a full fleet of, of, of rentals uh, for uh, $60 for a 24-hour period. Um, we have, um, it's not the entry-level bike, but uh, it's called the Trek Farley 5. Um, and uh, Set up with studded tires. Okay. So they can go out with confidence on, you know, mixed surfaces, and they come with the insulated handlebar bogies that we talked about. So it's that first step into is winter cycling or more specifically is fat biking something I can be interested in. Um, And there are other, I am aware there are other places, I think mostly in Anchorage that also rent uh, bicycles. Can't speak for what comes with those bicycles, but I do know that there are other places that have rentals. Mm -hmm. And occasionally as you... Um, experienced us do there are demo days that happen as well okay that's pretty that's pretty reasonable I mean, it's cheaper than a day's worth of skiing 
Correct. <laughs> and that rental rate can be applied um, up to two days worth can be applied towards the purchase price of a bike. If okay. you come back with such a big grin that you're like, I got to have one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, you're listening to Valley Outdoors. I'm Tim Escher, and we're talking about winter biking with Kevin and Julie from Backcountry Bike and Ski. Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit about where to go. Uh, where can, we've talked about Government Peak a little bit, um, which is the chalet up off of uh, Edgerton Park Road, and uh, a lot of people know about that as being a cross-country ski place and a, and a biking area. Um, other than that, what are some of the more popular places to go in the area? In the early winter, um the Greenbelt trails, believe it or not, can be quite a bit of fun before too much snow drifts and where, around. And where are those? Um, the Matt Lake or Kepler-Bradley trails okay. as they're known okay. by most and even expanding over into um, some of the university area as well as Crevasse Moraine. Okay. Um, now that we've been through one or two meltdowns and there's sufficient ice on everything, you know, steep up and down, um, those are a little bit less fun. Probably after that area is the Moose Range which is a big tract of land from the end of Went Road, expanding over towards Soapstone and Murphy Road, towards Buffalo Mine. Okay, so to get to Went Road, you would go up Palmer Fishhook? Correct. And then it's off to the right? It's off to the right off of Sun Valley Road. Take Sun Valley to your second right-hand turn is Went. If you pass the Turner's Fuel Store, you've gone too far. Okay, and then... Is there grooming that goes on on these trails? There is active okay. grooming that happens after most snow cycles. Um, we're in contact with a gentleman that lives on the Went roadside and then another gentleman um, that lives on the uh, Soapstone side. And there are actually three or four people in that area that coordinate together to groom those. Okay. And then several of us that coordinate to groom um, Government Peak as well. Okay. All right. And then... Um... How about Archangel? Archangel is groomed by the the ski club. But I can think. you bike on that? I know it's kind of geared towards skiers, but you can. I've seen bike I've seen bike tracks up there when I've been up there. So you can, but we would recommend that anybody be you know cognizant of any damage that they might be doing to okay. those trails because they're first and it's first and foremost groomed for skiing, and um, the the people that are paying for that to be groomed are are, are the ski club people. Um, so if the conditions aren't just perfect for it. I would just want to caution people just okay. to be. Yeah, and that's that's another question that I have in that um, when should people stay off the trails? You know, I, was, I, I look at the Anchorage Fat Bike Trail Group once in a while, and there'll be postings <laughs> on there that it's 40 degrees, everybody get off the trails mm -hmm. uh, because you're going to tear things up. Can you talk about that a little bit, about when when's a good time to go? When's not a good time to go? When did you, just, you stay off the trails to be a good citizen? That sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, as you put it, you know, if it gets above freezing, the snow um, starts to soften to the point where you have a lasting tire rut that's formed. And once that hardens, that's there to deal with for the remainder of the winter. So those temperature ranges um, or, you know, within the 24-hour period immediately following grooming, you know, that's happened. Um, this is one of those discussions that we have in the shop all the time about, you know, correct order of progression for use. And mm -hmm. when we lay down fresh tracks for grooming, the ideal um, order in which trail users use the trail would be the skiers first, followed by snowshoe traffic, preferably, um, uh, followed by fat tire riders, and then people just wearing regular tennis shoes. So kind of let things firm up and... Correct. It's a really, really... 
it's really important and it really helps go a long way to making sure that everybody actually enjoys, you know, a firm trail. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, are there any active clubs around, you know, if someone wanted to kind of get started at this and, and, uh, find some other people who are also interested in it, are there groups that go out on a regular basis or? We do host a regular shop ride, uh, Wednesday evenings at six thirty, pretty much on the regular barring some sort of, you know, extreme weather event that mm -hmm. pins us down. Um, and then there are several other groups. You mentioned Anchorage Fat Bike. I think you can find posted rides in there. I know some of the bike shops um, in town offer rides weekly. And then there's also Vimba, the local group here in Palmer. Oh, the Val Valley Mountain Biking Hiking Group? Mm -hmm. okay. I don't know that they coordinate much for rides, yeah. but they do you know, a lot of activity as far as, you know, getting people excited for biking and hiking. And we, then we also have a, a women only group called women on wheels that, um, oh. occasionally we have, uh, we kind of do it in cycles of, of four or five weeks at a time of doing organized rides for women. Mm -hmm. Um, and that goes year round. It's not just fat, fat tire biking, but, um, in the wintertime we do fat tire biking. Okay. All right. And so how would you find out about these? Is it, it, it mainly on Facebook? Facebook. Or? Yeah, yeah. Facebook. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Um, well, good. Anything else that you think folks ought to know about this if they want to kind of want to get started at it? Or? Um, again, I think going back to that very first question, you know, how does one get started with winter biking? And it's just starts with being curious about it. Get outside. Yeah. yeah I mean, my, my progression personally was mountain bikes mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. studded tires and Me then too. fat bikes kind of became something that I was curious about and I tried it and it was like, oh, it's pretty fun. Right. But I also have a road bike with studs too, so. So yeah, you're that crazy guy they see going up and down there. <laughs> not, not all the time. <laughs> not all the time. Well, okay. I would encourage anybody who thought that they might be interested in it to come and either test ride a bike or, or do a rental because it really is fun. Yeah. It's it's fun. We we do a lot of riding, uh, you know, we mentioned um, the Moose Range, but we also do a lot of riding out in the Willow area where there's miles and miles and miles of snow or snow machine trails, um, groomed snow machine trails, mm. dog sled trails are a lot of fun. Uh, Anchorage, the trails in Anchorage, they have so many people that have fat tire bikes in Anchorage that within a hour of even a heavy snowfall, their their trails are groomed by the bike alone to be a real single track, and it's it's essentially mountain biking on their trails in Anchorage. It's and it's. It's a lot of fun. So if somebody's yeah. interested in trying it, I really encourage them to, to, to check it out. Yeah, to just try it out. Mm -hmm. it, it, it when you first see it, it seems strange, mm -hmm. but uh, when you get out there, it's it's a blast. Yeah, uh, to do it. Um, and I'd really like to see it expand beyond Alaska. I mean, I, like I said, I haven't seen it anywhere else. Like I've seen it here, and yeah. uh, I have a, I have it's I have a Trek. Probably it has two and a half inch tires or so uh, mm -hmm. that I use back. Uh, in Wisconsin when I visit relatives back there. Mm -hmm. And I mainly use it on sand surfaces and stuff like that, but it's a blast. It's, yeah. It's just fun mm -hmm. to do. So, all right. Well, I appreciate both of you coming in. Um, this has been very informative and hopefully get some more people out there. So awesome. thanks, thanks a lot. Thanks for having us. Thank all you. Right. All right. You've been listening to Valley Outdoors, covering outdoor recreation in the Madsen Valley in greater Alaska. Valley Outdoors is a production of Big Cabbage Radio, recorded in our studios in Palmer, Alaska. Music by Robin Hopper of Chugiak, Alaska, and I'm your host, Tim Escher.